Bookworms Horror Podcast is sponsored by Creepy Crate. Creepy Crate is a horror and true crime subscription box filled with spooky collectibles, macabre accessories, and terrifying goodies. Each bi-monthly box is filled with over $85 of terror and includes at least one horror or true crime book. This box delivers dread to your doorstep for just $39.99 with free shipping. Go to creepycrate.store to subscribe. Use the code bookworm5 at checkout to get $5 off your subscription. That's bookworm5 for $5 off your subscription. And now to the show. Welcome to Bookworm's Horror Podcast, a podcast to get you inspired to write and hopefully get you encouraged to submit to our horror zine bookworms. I'm your host, James Ippolitti. Check out my latest YouTube book review. It's the Audible-only original creature feature featuring stories from Joe Hill, Grady Hendrix, Paul Tremley, and many more. If you haven't purchased issue three, the Halloween issue of Bookworms, it is selling out fast. So get your worms today. The Etsy link is in the show notes. Regina is a Wadi Award winner for Best Horror Novel, as well as multiple screenwriting awards, including a Webby honoree. Regina is also the contributing editor of the best-selling Local Haunts, a horror tube anthology. Find Regina and her alter ego, Batilda, at her booktube channel, Regina's Haunted Library, and on her blog, rstclair.com. Regina and myself are the editors of the Bookworms Horror Zine, and since we're seeking great horror fiction for bookworms, we created this weekly podcast to offer writers quick tips on writing for the genre. Find all our links in the show notes. Now let's jump into my conversation with Regina as she speaks with me from her haunted library. All right, Regina, this week the quote is... Art is, uh, oh, well, the quote is by Jean Cocteau. Is that, how do you say, Cocteau? Jean Cocteau. Jean Cocteau. Okay. Jean Cocteau. Art is a marriage of the conscious and the unconscious. Very simple. Mm. Give me your feelings and thoughts. I can relate to that. And, uh, Jean Cocteau was a filmmaker. He's what I guess he was part of the surrealist movement. Who uh, let's see, he did that Beauty and the Beast, uh-huh. the pretty famous film. And uh, what was I saw some other ones that he did in um, college. Anyway, they'll come to me. But I think coming from the place as a surrealist and an experimental artist definitely can relate to that that quote i agree with it a hundred percent the hard part about this quote is the unconscious part because we're not conscious of it right you're married to something that you are unconscious of well the un- as one of my therapists explained to me the unconscious is always a step above the conscious so uh you know why we're drawn to certain people whether they're good for us or not is a bit of a mystery and it's it's definitely related to the unconscious like why do we feel a certain way why do we fall in love with this person why are we infatuated with this person a lot of it is coming from the unconscious and yes. uh, i would say most of it what we're 
what we're turned on by, what draws us to certain subjects. Yeah, good, good or about. bad. Good or bad, right? Good or bad. Like, I can go back and analyze my work um, as part of like my family system and it's the problems with my family system. I, I mean, definitely when I wrote Unmasked, which is about a a brother who's like tormented by a sister. Well, I, you know, not that I had those exact dynamics, of course, but I definitely could relate to it. And, and for my family uh, dynamic, the, the, the negative things about my family dynamic, you know, it, I think art, you're always trying to work something out and make sense of something or just explore it. Yeah, I think, so, you know, I think maybe that oh, Orpheus was this other film. That's really great that I've seen. I think, the first draft should be the unconscious if you want to put it that way. And I think that's another way of looking at this. It's the, the uh, right brain, left brain type thing where when you're writing your first draft or you're trying to get something down, like Ray Bradbury says, don't think right. Right. That is going to mess you up when you're trying to write because you're going to criticize yourself every sentence. Oh yeah. And I think just letting the story come out, the unconscious is writing it. Yep. And then marry it with your conscious when you go back to to rewrite, when you do revisions. I I think that's the best practice as as any artist you can, uh, especially writing, because in order to get into that flow, and, and where all the good stuff happens, if you're if you're thinking about if you're following your outline too much, yes, that can be really restrictive, and you'll come out with something that just doesn't really have a lot of life. Yeah, I think it's like this idea of a control freak. Like if you're going to sit there and like you know hold your story down and be like, this is what you are, and with these outlines right. that are, you know. <laughs> You're not well, again. The marriage might be a good metaphor. You know, you've got that one controlling spouse. Is that you a good know. metaphor? Well, to, he says for writing. It, I know it's a marriage, but I think well, he, I don't think he means that one. What? I don't think it's. No, a, he's that, trying to say it's an unhealthy marriage. No, no, no. But it is a marriage. A healthy marriage is a balance. Yes. But. Uh, yeah, what you're saying is that don't be the, the one controlling spouse who's like... Don't let one dominate the other. Yes. Yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Like, yeah. like if, but if you... So going in and thinking too much when you're writing is bad. But if you're just like... And I met a few of these people. Like, whatever I put on, it's just coming out of me. And I'm not going to go back and edit or, or change or fix my spelling mistakes because it's <laughs> perfect the way it is. You know? <laughs> That's not good either. I Yeah, I don't agree with that, and I know those people as well. But how do you feel about someone like Jackson Pollock? Do you think that, like, do you think there's an equivalent to Jackson Pollock in writing? Hmm. I think in some poetry, definitely. Uh, and a lot of bad poetry, too. We, I don't know. You have someone like, uh, I think, like, certain poets... There, there's already, like with Pollock, let's say, or maybe Picasso's a better example, like they already have the skills. Right. And now they're just being free with it. Like when I went to the Picasso Museum uh, in Spain, it, 
it was a huge retrospective of his work, starting with his earlier stuff. So as a child, he's painting these incredibly realistic paintings as an adolescent. And then at the end of his life, he's doing these very childlike sculptures, which are worlds better than what he did as an adolescent, if that makes sense. So, But he, he already knew what he was doing. And uh, it's kind of a corny example, perhaps. But I think that, well, I think musicians are like this. Like, I know a lot of great musicians who can't read a note of music, but they, they know how to play. Yeah. And they understand music. And then you probably have met those too. But then there are also the musicians who maybe are doing everything by the book, but they're, they're boring. Yes. So that comes into play with, and yes, I know a lot of these people yeah. that are so well-versed in music theory mm-hmm. that they do not have any feeling in it. But right. to them, it's cool that there is this certain note above this note that is, you know, theoretically really cool, but it's just all technical. Yes. And then, you know, because I've been a teacher before, you know, you get a student that maybe is, has, is, and I was probably like this a lot when I was a kid, like full of feeling, but maybe doesn't have the grammatical control yet. Uh, but you should always work on on both because if you're not, the reason why the grammar, and this can apply to like any art, is important is that because you have to communicate with a certain language that other people then can understand. So if you're, if you're writing a poem, let's say, and it's just words, but they're not connected with any kind of grammatical syntax and you expect people to follow the story just by these words you you know you could create some kind of cool like uh abstract piece but it doesn't mean that anyone's really going to understand it <laughs> you know right i, I like mean, but that's but that's art you know I, I i look i'd rather prefer the someone who's being really free and expressive and sincere just in my personal preference than someone who's being so controlled with it that it's just tight and and uh yeah so i think you brought up two things that i agree is the marriage it is Mm -hmm. feeling and skill right so there's the technical and there's the feeling and Mm -hmm. you want to have that marriage where it's like i and a lot you hear this all the time you need to know the rules before you can break them. Yeah. And that's a, that Picasso example is perfect. Here's a guy. And the problem with Picasso is that most people don't know all his earlier stuff. So they just see the stuff that he's famous for. And they're like, well, I could do that. Right. You know, right. same yeah. with like Mondrian, you know, like people look at that at the MoMA and they're like, okay, I just see four colors. Like there's a reason right. for it. And it's also... I think with art, when you're looking at stuff, you have to understand the time period it was created in, as well as the artist. Yeah, I think I think context is important. Which context goes back is to so our important. Earlier conversation about censorship and this kind of stuff. Yes, a good example of a movie I didn't like because it didn't make sense 
is a movie called Yesterday. It just came out not too long, maybe a year or two ago. Have you, do you know this movie? No. So the idea is this guy basically wakes up and he's the only one that knows that the Beatles existed. Okay. So he's playing the song yesterday and the, they're sitting outside in a park and the, the friend's like, oh my God, that's really good. Did you write that? And they're like, he's like, you joking, right? And then you realize nobody knows the Beatles. It's so like a he, world without the Beatles. Except he knows all the songs. So he becomes famous by re-recording every Beatles song. Well, it's an interesting idea. It's a fun movie, but it doesn't make sense because it takes context out of what matters. Because would the, would some of these Beatles songs work today? The Beatles mm. worked because of the exact everything that happened that is is based in that context of that time. Right. They were they were like a Picasso, uh, an artist that met the right time. Yes. Like like a Shakespeare. There is uh, a book. Or trying, like a Kurt Cobain. I think the book's called Outliers. Mm-hmm. I, I could be wrong. But it I'm talks sure. about that people being born at a specific time. And you can look at those people and you see that they kind of hit. Right. Because of what was going on in the world. And this is, they talk a lot about Steve Jobs and, and Bill Gates and how they mm-hmm. were born at the right time to be in this position to do what they did. Right. You have to understand the time period when things are made, the context, because it's not just whatever you're creating in a vacuum, you know? Yeah. And so you unconsciously are creating in the context of your existence. And that is in merging. In place and time. Yeah. I think that's actually one of the most brilliant and wonderful things about art. Right. Because like you and I are creating art and we've been for a long time in the digital age. And so are a lot of people. So this has opened up avenues in which to create, which means, you know, you're going to get a, a flood of a lot of different people uh, creating. I think that's awesome. Like I totally embrace it. A yeah. lot of people are like, you know, there's too much people doing stupid shitty music. And it's like, well, don't listen to it. It is a little more challenge, maybe finding the good stuff, but I think it's great. I do too. And I don't, I don't understand how you couldn't, unless it's because you were born late because mm-hmm. to me, again, I said, I, I'm not making any money with Spotify or anything, but I have songs out there and I have more people listening than I ever would have in 1991. Yes. And from all over the globe, I think, and to me, I'm not trying to get out there with my music. So to me, every little thing is just icing on the cake. It's just, wow, that's cool. Somebody in Sweden liked my song, you know, or, or yes. put it in a playlist, you know? Yeah, isn't that great? How wonderful is that? I know. It's so I, wonderful. You know, Mike Kiker from yes. The Apostles. Yes. He did a, uh, and I saw, I was there in the live, he did a live performance that he kind of made it up as he went along score of the silent film Dante's Inferno and he put that on YouTube with the film with his score and I don't I haven't checked in a while but he had like almost half a million people watching that like because they maybe they're seeking out the film and I'm like his music 
and they're loving what he's doing. It's like his music is reaching an incredible amount of people through YouTube. Yeah. I would advise if you're a musician, if it makes sense to your art, your music, those films, and I'm sure this is why he did it, are in the public domain. Mm -hmm. So you could find old, um, like Nosferatu, and you could do your own score and put it underneath it. And I think that is a wonderful idea of getting your name out there. What a brilliant way of uh, exposing yourself. Yeah, how cool. It's really cool. All right, we'll be back next week with a new quote. Okay. All right. Thank you for tuning in to the Bookworms Horror Podcast. All our links are in the show notes, and we'll be back next week with a new episode. Bookworms is a Gorilla Delphia production. Yeah.